Hello everyone and welcome back to the Espresso series with your Edinburgh hosts, Honor and Grace. Today we're going to be covering the origins of Pride and then we're going to be debating the commercialization of Pride and its possible merits and disadvantages. Hey Grace, it's great to be back on an Espresso Adulting episode with you and I'm really looking forward to this one. We sort of missed the kind of like getting it done in the like month of June, but you know, we're coming at it with July and you know, making sure that it stays current and relevant. So I'm really excited for this episode. Exactly. It's always topical to talk about pride and it's always going to be important to talk about pride. So our first section is going to be about the origins of the pride parade itself, because that's what the episode is focusing around. So the first pride parades took place one year after the Stonewall riots in New York City, which was in June, late June 1970. And similar parades occurred in Chicago and LA and San Francisco. Two years later is when London had its first ever gay pride in the UK due to the gay liberation front. The Stonewall riots were six days of rioting after the police raided a gay club called the Stonewall Inn in Greenwich Village in southern Manhattan. The riots were important because they accelerated the civil rights movement for the LGBT community both in the US and globally because through Pride and other protests they gave the gay community in New York the momentum to be more visible and for example to remove age and dress restrictions on LGBT solidarity parades meaning that everyone could get involved and there was kind of less taboo. So the reason why this was important was because the Stonewall Inn was not just a bar but it was somewhere where drag artists could perform and where those in the LGBT community who needed a home could be sheltered. So to violate this specific place was almost like violating kind of a sanctuary for LGBT people which is why it sparks the Pride Parade the next year and a lot of protests and civil rights movements. The Eastern Regional Conference of Homophile Organisations proposed a march every year in New York City with no restrictions on dress or age as I said before because I think men and women had to dress in a specific way in previous LGBT solidarity parades and it had to be silent so you had to essentially march silently through a city but I think the community were kind of tired of being silenced at that point and they wanted to be more also, visible it's just a very kind of like kind of making like you conform to like heteronormative behavior like you have to dress a certain way you can't speak like that's very heteronormative not heteronormative like you know straight people would like not you know are not out there you know campaigning for civil rights movements in any way shape or form but it's it sounds like the way of sort of silencing the lgbtq plus movement in a very kind of trying to con- you know conform them to a certain like quite heterosexual possibly you could argue quite heterosexual standard exactly well one of the things is that there was a dress code in that women had to wear dresses or skirts and mm. men had to wear trousers and ties and the pride parades other than LA in late June 1970 the first ever ones they didn't have a permit from the city LA are the only city that got a permit so this was kind of the gay community being like we don't care anymore we're just going to do our thing without your permission Mm. and a lot of people came out in support which is really awesome the activist Brenda Howard is the one who made it a weekly celebration. She was kind of the great mind behind the Pride Parades. So obviously we see in, in places like London and Brighton today a weekly celebration. So that was instituted almost from the first year. And the March's official chant was Say It Loud, Gay is Proud, which I think is really, really lovely. And that, that's, that's where I, I can still the term Pride today came and from. Be happy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, say it loud, gay is proud. I love it. There were, there were some debates about what they should call the parades um, mm. and I think Pride was one of them. There was also some controversy around the flag because 
The flag at the time, before the rainbow flag, which I'll explain in a minute, came about, was the pink triangle that the Nazis used to symbolise homosexuals. So they kind of appropriated it as a mark of gay pride, but some people mm. felt this was inappropriate and it had a very painful past. And so the designer Gilbert Baker, who at the time was a drag artist, in 1978 was commissioned by Harvey Milk to make a new flag for the San Francisco Gay Pride. Baker said that seeing celebrations of America with the American flag caused him to realise that there was a cultural need for a similar rallying sign for the gay community during their celebrations of pride. And so mm. he said that the different colours within the flag were meant to represent togetherness since LGBT people come in all races, ages and genders and rainbows are both natural and beautiful. The design itself was the work of 30 volunteers at the San Francisco Gay Community Centre. So that's where we get the rainbow pride flag from. I think that was kind of the gay community developing what symbols they they felt should accurately represent them because of course the pink triangle was always controversial though some people did use it um, as a kind of prideful symbol. I thought what was really interesting is that also Clinton declared June as Pride Month. He was the first person to do that but following him George W Bush revoked this and he did not maintain this but it was reinstated by Obama so even after... Obama may have you know bombed Syrians at least he gave us you know gay pride month back. <laughs> Thanks. Yes, of course. Well, I think we all have very nuanced Thanks, opinions Obama. On, on Obama. Yeah, exactly. Um, I just thought it was interesting that even quite late in the 20th century, after the gay community was more accepted, there still wasn't a continuous like governmental acceptance of the gay community in that way. I thought that was really, really interesting. It's something that we sometimes overlook, unless we kind of look We definitely overlook it. Yeah. We definitely exactly. overlook, you know, kind of like how new, not, you know, how new kind of gay rights and civil rights are and this kind of, and this leads actually quite nicely on. I think one person I think we need to still mention is um, Marsha P. Johnson. And she was an, an activist and a self-identified drag queen performer and survivor. And she was a prominent figure in Stonewall in the uprising of 69. Uh, she went on, she went by actually Black Marsha before settling on Marsha P. Johnson, the P standing for like, pay it no mind. Uh, which is what Marsha would say in response to questions about her gender. Uh, and she was central to the Stonewall riots and led protests as a consequence of the raid of the inn uh, and becoming an icon in gay and trans and the transgender rights movement. I feel like Pride, this is going to kind of lead on to the commercialization of Pride, which is the bit that we're going to debate now. I think there's certainly in more recent Prides, I feel like we've forgotten the origins of Pride a little bit. I don't know, you know, how much people really know about Pride and it's just become, you know, a celebration which, you know, is massively, massively commercialised every June by big corporations like Amazon, Zara, to name a few. And then I've got like some more kind of different corporations who, although like their marketing suggests that they are, you know, very kind of LGBTQ plus focused in terms of their marketing, their actual business strategies, strategies and the way that they get their commodities to the shelf actually really reflect that you know they're proud um just you know to the face of the face of the west and western you know consumerism but they're not actually sticking to the kind of sense of what really pride is which is raising up people who are being downtrodden and this is no longer so much a thing in the west more kind of in developing countries and countries with a lot of like what do you mean by the west and developing countries so like when I say developing countries, I mean countries which are like their economies are like starting to begin to rise. So originally they, they have lower economies, so lower GDP overall. And Western countries like America who have high GDP, who have high levels of like third sector industries 
and then developing countries may focus more on second se uh, secondary sector and um, primary sector, which is agriculture, and then the second uh, secondary sector is like industry. So this is uh, factory, mostly factories. Okay. So it's more of a comment on the eco economy than it is on you know their mm, politics. Because I usually find labels of the West and mm. other labels that derive from calling one part of the world the West to be quite unspecific mm. and possibly biased. So, you know, I just wanted you to clarify that. But could you also clarify for us exactly what commercialization of pride is, just for those who might not know, be familiar with the term or know what it means? So the commercialization of pride is basically the idea that it's now become fashion pride has now become fashionable to celebrate and companies are following suit of that of that demand and they're supplying merchandise which is like rainbow themed or black lives matter themed or what they deem zeitgeisty movement at the time which will sell and you know you know produce profit margins and the commercialization of pride is basically the idea that we've taken this amazing movement that started, you know, in the late 60s, which was really aiming to change policy and government and culture. And it's now become, you know, just this fashion-y zeitgeist that people just buy into and will buy the merchandise once a year to go out into the streets and, you know, walk down the, with people and, you know, wave a little rainbow flag. It doesn't really stand for what it originally was, which was, you know, a civil rights movement, which was fundamentally changing countries for, you know, better equality between heterosexual people and LGBTQ plus people. There's been many criticisms of that, which we can go into in a minute. But I want to talk a little bit about the companies which are perpetrating the commercialization of pride. So this, I'm going to say the articles that I've got this from, and then I will link the articles in the down bar so people can go and check them out uh, on our social media if they want to read more. I'm just going to talk about sections of it. But I read an article from Vox in 2019, <laughs> which talks about uh, certain companies which say that they are supporting pride and supporting LGBTQ plus people, but not really. So Adidas is the first example, which is they are selling a pride pack, which is like basically selling rain, uh, rainbow merchandise to honor pride month. Adidas sponsored the World Cup, which took place in Russia, a country with anti-LGBTQ laws and is unsafe for fans and athletes to go to if they don't identify as anything other than heterosexual. This contradiction is in sharp relief to the emptiness that can lie at the center of corporate gestures of support for LGBT, uh, the LGBTQ plus community. And it's it's same with merchandise. So H&M say that they like donate a proportion of what their customers spend to charities and the amount going to the charity varies depending on the company and the product. So J. Crew denotes like 50% of their purchase price of its Pride t-shirts H&M only donates about 10% of the sales from its Proud Out Loud collection. Nike's website doesn't say how much the proceeds to Be True campaign, the Be True campaign company. So the Be True campaign was basically a whole bunch of t-shirts and merchandise which basically said be true to oneself. And they said that they donated like $2.7 million since 2012, but they haven't exactly said the proportion of their sale price which has gone towards that. So what we can see here is companies saying, oh, look at this t-shirt that we've made you. It's got the rainbow flag on it. We support LGBTQ rights, but really do it in practice because they're not telling us how much they're actually giving to these charities. And then on top of that, what we've sort of seen more recently is fast fashion and this huge backlash against fast fashion as there should be. And we look at the numbers of countries where, you know, these clothes are being made, you know, loud and proud, you know, be gay and be happy. These t-shirts are being manufactured in countries with anti-LGBTQ plus laws. 
laws and is enforcing also racial discrimination. Fast fashion is a huge perpetrator of this problem and brands don't take it seriously. They market their self up to like commercialize economies which support LGBTQ rights, but they don't actually fundamentally address the issues like on a worldwide global stage. They're very happy to look all pretty when it comes to like selling stuff, but they're not actually willing to take undertake what it needs to do to transform. Because politics follow, follows money. So let's say companies like Amazon or Zara or J. Crew or Nike decided to move their factories out of countries with anti-LGBTQ laws. It might force governments to really like look at what they want and you know how they want to continue to pump money through their market system and they may decide to change their policies around this to keep big corporations in their co uh, country. Now I'm not saying we should give big corporations that much power but fundamentally that's kind of how the world economy works at the moment. Where money goes, politics follows. So they're purporting to support the LGBT plus community during the month where it's most obvious by mm. investing in the parade, for example, and putting rainbows on their stores. But they're not following through their actions. They're not thinking deeply about how they can achieve that equality. They're just being like, yay, we think you're equal without being like, we think you're equal. And so this is how we're going to go about showing the rest of the world that. And this is how we're it's going to go about, about profit margins. It's, company. it's mm. all about profit margins. It's all about profit margins. I mean, also pride itself in person. I've got a problem with pride in America, specifically in New York. The New York pride is often like now termed gay Christmas. Um, and this is the Interpride, which represents the pride organizers around the world and estimates it's one of New York's biggest events. And the bu event's budget has trebled in like the last 10 years. This year's budget for like what was last year's, now 2019's budget for the pride parade was like 2.4 million. And like half of it came from sponsorship. And we don't even know where half that sponsorship came from. But, you know, this money isn't going towards any LGBTQ plus charities. It's paying people. And it's, and it's coming from fundraising events, floater registration freeze, ticket sales, because people want to go now because it's very popular to go to Pride. The result of it is the event has sort of strayed from its root. What once was a political protest has over half a century become a boozy kind of celebration where I don't think we really actually celebrate gender fluidity and sexual liberation. I think it's now become so popular and so almost heteronormative. It's almost been taken by the heterosexual community and like cozied up and made comfortable, comfortably gay, like within that. This is my own personal opinion, but I think it's sort of been like hetero washed to make it comfortable for people to go to that. This is from Peter Tatchell, who's a Guardian writer. But he talks about the trend of being gay. The LGBTQ plus community is becoming carbon copies of heterosexuality. And that we've internalized straight thinking and become hetero homos, straight minds in queer bodies. And how the LGBTQ plus psyche has been colorized by heteronormative mentality. How times have changed. I don't know if I agree with him, but I feel like the battle cry was originally innovate, not assimilate. And now I don't really feel like that is what we're really saying at Pride, I feel... Well, what what do you think is a legitimate celebration of Pride? If you're denouncing how we currently celebrate Pride, how some people currently celebrate Pride, is there an ideal version that you would want to go back to? Or is there something specific that you think we should be doing or modelling? I don't think it's a matter of fact of going backwards, but I think recently the kind of spotlight which has been put on black transgender rights is really really important you know marsha p johnson was you know a black woman and she was transgender and well she, she was gender non-conforming i loved when she put the p in paying no, no mind. mind yeah 
But I think we need to actually like shine a light on the issues which are happening, you know, around the world instead of just going, look at us, we've managed to achieve relative equality to, you know, heterosexual people. With regards to we don't, uh, mm. what you were saying about the commercialization of pride, let's say that companies do begin to start tackling the wider issues of LGBT plus mm. equality within their companies. For example, they start drawing out of deals with governments who have anti-LGBT laws and things like that. Mm. Let's say they do start doing the work, as it were. Do you think it's still not good for them to be part of pride parades? Do you think it's still not good for them to paint their stores rainbows if they start taking it genuinely seriously in terms of yeah. terms as well? So do you think that, that would be okay? It's not as long as it's not to oh, so you're saying as long as it's not tokenism or virtue signaling, they can still get involved. Yeah, I think that you know, it might be not... a message to people who aren't as accepting of the LGBT plus community if they see the corporations that run their lives supporting LGBT people both in a nominal fashion by just kind of going to Pride and also by their actions and being transparent for those, then hopefully that'll help shape the society around us. So while obviously you could say, say that it's, sorry, <laughs> that it's good no, no, you go. to have a kind of grassroots parade of just human beings celebrating together, to show that wider society is in support of the LGBT community might mean that it has a knock-on effect on that wider society and you're right we're both 20 at this point and we're both we were both at the cusp point where lgbtq was was the thing it wasn't as commercialized and it wasn't as advertised as it is now that kind of hit from about like 2012 upwards maybe no 2015 upwards i'd say and what we're going to see is an entire generation of kids growing up surrounded by pride flags being told it's fine to be who you are and the knock-on effect of that we haven't we have yet to see we haven't seen the results of that yet and i agree with you in the sense that it's great that now young people and older people can see that, you know, being gay is okay. But I'm saying that there are issues within inside the LGBTQ plus community that, you know, need to be dealt with. Tokenism by companies is one. That needs to be real support, you know, with real policy change. And then also on top of that, we need to talk about inside the LGBTQ plus community. And I have my own personal grievances with that. Biphobia inside the LGBTQ plus community is massive, particularly towards, you know, bisexual men who I still think are very, very stigmatized. I've spoken to many of my male bisexual friends about this, and they've talked about how they don't really feel like they can find an identity because they can't be too feminine otherwise they're called gay or they can't be too masculine because they're called straight and they aren't just accepted for how they want to be there's this kind of consistent pressure to find an identity within that uh, and then I've heard of you know some of my girlfriends saying I would never have sex with a bisexual guy because it's just too weird or it's too uncomfortable so many things wrong with that statement and yeah I think, definitely yeah. so do you think that at pride parades that bisexual people would be less likely to go or they'd be less likely to enjoy themselves I don't think it has been, I think it, no, I think it's been commercialized to basically make being gay or being a lesbian or you know, uh, being a lesbian very comfortable, but the kind of like in between of that. And actually, funny enough, I'm going to go back to Tatchell who sort of says it. He sort of talks about most queers no longer dissent from values, laws, and institutions of mainstream society. They happily settle for equal rights within the existing social order for often uncritically seeking what straights have, no matter how dubious. Increasingly, the LGBT plus culture has lost its critical edge. We have been mainstreamed, which is on one level really great, which is what we were talking about, how you know we're going to have a generation of children who know it's okay to grow up to be gay, but mainstreamed on heterosexual terms. And that's the bit that I'm critical of, is that I think we've been mainstreamed on uh, heterosexual terms in the sense that we no longer kind of question the version, the LGBT plus version of the straight family life. Don't question gender norms, we don't question, you know, 
there's this kind of heterosexual vibe at times inside, or at least I've felt like this, that sometimes I feel when I'm in a bisexual relationship and I'm with a woman, there's always this question of like, oh, who takes on which role in the relationship? Or like, what's your percentage of liking men versus women? And I'm sitting there being like, there isn't really a percentage game to this. And this isn't really about like, who's taking on the more masculine or naturally more feminine role within the relationship. There's very much yeah. gender stereotypes, even within a lesbian relationship as a bisexual woman, because you've both dated men and women. So somehow, you know, you've got to take on certain Yeah, I mean, I, I mean it's, it's a stereotype that people who are in same gender relationships will mm. encounter the questions of, oh, who's the man slash who's the woman? And obviously their reaction to that would be the whole point is that we're the same gender that kind of thing so i do get that there is social pressure is there a way that you could expand a bit more on how gay relationships and gay identity is expected to fit within heteronormative society in order to acquire equal rights as opposed to being different this is something that I'm going to own as my own opinion. But I feel like mainstream media has typecasted the LGBTQ plus community. And your brother touched on it this uh, in the episode that we did before, that it's become very tokenistic. We think of, you know, the Danish girl and it was played by a cisgender white man. It's very tokenistic. And that's the kind of, that's the information that we're feeding people. We can talk about the subconscious all day long and we can talk about what it means to be a woman and a man in this time inside gender relations but we don't talk about what it means to not conform to any of those genders whatsoever. And gender, I think, is inherently a very heterosexual kind of idea. So I think unless we eliminate gender, what's been defined as gender up until now, we cannot really have true like sexual liberation, LGBT yeah. plus liberations. I am sure that a lot of gender stereotypes and expectations do go hand in hand with how those people are supposed to perform in relationships, specifically marriage, the roles people are supposed to play in marriage. I'm sure that's developed together quite a lot, mm. but that's that's a very interesting point that you make there. But to bring it back to pride, how do you think mm. pride can be made safe for everyone? If it's accommodating for people who aren't within the LGBT community to make them feel safe instead of the LGBT community, how do you think that that can be changed? Well, what do you think? Let's throw it back to you. I've done quite a lot of the talking now, so let's throw it back to you. How do you think we can make Pride more inclusive? In, in the fact that it's supposed to be inclusive and yet it doesn't always feel inclusive. I suppose it's like what you say. If you're going to be involved as a commercial organisation, you have to signal that you are doing the work. I think that would make people feel more safe because I can imagine people feeling like it wasn't for them if it was just going to be a bunch of sponsored floats as opposed to people just kind of... I, I don't know, they do take up the parade, don't they? I mean, I've been there before and you can't really see the actual people because it's just so many floats from different companies all in front of each other. So I think to make people feel safe, if those companies are going to be taking over pride as it were they do need to be showing solidarity they need to be showing that they've taken lgbt perspectives within so they they need to be showing that they are actively listening to people they need to be liaising with people who are experts on these kinds of things maybe some academics maybe some organizations maybe some charities do you know what i mean i think that would make people feel more safe for example among the commercial aspect if those companies were going to continue to be within pride but say look we are fully allied with you actually we are because if it's filled with people who lgbt people don't think are proper allies then 
then it does become something that's performative and something that's just for the whole city to, as you say, have a party. So I guess people just need to show when they're at the parade and of course not when they're at the parade that they are true allies to make the parade also, you know, what it was. Also, to agree with you, to agree with you, there's a particular activist who I'm going to mention called Ruben Angel. And she talks about, we can improve our Pride Month if we do away with the term inclusive altogether. So what we were talking about can make completely redundant instead of the focus on centering marginalized people, specifically like queer trans people of color, and especially those who are like disabled or undocumented what, uh, people or sex workers or working class or survivors. To be inclusive implies that the space wasn't made with marginalized people in mind, but instead like an afterthought. Centering like queer trans people of color would entail that we ensure our Pride celebrations are specifically created with the purpose purpose of uplifting these marginalized communities. So it's like what I was talking about, the kind of focus on black trans rights this year is incredibly important because Pride, it hasn't really talked about it, yet its origins is Marsha P. Johnson, who's like gender non-conforming and a person of color. I think, yeah, we have to focus more on the issues that are still prevailing within society and do away with this whole idea that we've somehow reached equality and thus every year we in June, we should break out the champagne and have a party. But that's that. That's what. That's she's a really good about. point. When right. when one is walking along as a Londoner in the centre of London, and so many stores and cafes have the pride flag outside and things, you do kind of think, oh wow, this is more than I expected as a kind of 11 year old kid. It can give you the illusion that it's okay, we're on your side, the people in charge, everything's okay. But obviously, as we were talking about, one does have to be a proper ally in order to be fighting for the equality that we eventually do hope to achieve. And I believe that we can achieve if we are all proper allies. So to kind of wrap this up, I think we've had a really, really in interesting discussion this week. I really enjoyed this. I feel like it was really important to talk about. This has been really, really great. It has been great. And I hope to talk more about gay and trans issues, of course, throughout the show and especially in future episodes, like the, the episode that I'm planning on diversity and classics, for example, that's going to be centered a lot around gay and trans identities. Be, it is going be to be lit. lit. Everyone should look and also, it. And <laughs> also to shout out your brother's episode, if you haven't gone to listen yes. to it, we did it about like two weeks ago about transgender gender representation in film and media. If you haven't gone and listened to that, firstly, why? Secondly, great episode with the other half of Grace Volante, the, tw <laughs> the twins, the womb to the tomb. The womb so, to the tomb, you know. indeed, yeah. I'd really recommend that, especially because people don't necessarily consider trans perspectives as much as they yeah. consider, for example, a gay white man perspective. Yeah. And um, it's really in it was really interesting to explore the context of that in film and how Sam basically said, I'm not going to write a straight cis character until I'm fully represented as a trans person. Definitely recommend that. And thank you for the chat. It's given me a fair bit of food for thought, especially because we didn't actually get to celebrate Pride of the same way this year. So hopefully the next time we have a parade, we might see some changes, we might not. We have to be the change that we want to see. And if we want to be the change that we want to see, we have to talk about the issues which we're not talking about, which we have talked about, which is the marginalization of people even inside the LGBTQ plus community, like transgender rights and people of color and immigrants and sex workers. Go and check out the clip bait episode as well, because they talk about intersectionality within women's rights as well. So go yes, check I it do out. think that the conclusion of what you've said today is that both corporations and people need to be far more intersectional mm. in celebrating pride. And that was what I was trying to get at with like the kind of the heterosexuality is that like it's very comfortable to conform to the hetero easy. Yay, well done. You know, you've been a little bit more inclusive than you have been before, but you need to be very inclusive. So get on it, people. But anyway, on that note, everyone, listeners, stay caffeinated and we will see you next week with another episode.